Bullet Club. Hi everybody, how you doing? Before we start the show today, I want to talk about a few different educational opportunities I'll be presenting over the next few weeks. On Sunday, February 28th, 2021, I'm going to be doing a completely free presentation all about gloves. I'm going to talk about how to properly don sterile gloves. It's great if you've never used them before. You really do need to know how to put them on correctly to be able to use them correctly. I'll be talking about what kinds of gloves are appropriate or inappropriate for different tasks within a piercing studio. So I'll be talking about latex versus nitrile versus vinyl and a whole lot more. On Sunday, March 7th, I'll be doing my big bevel theory webinar and workshop. So if you've ever been unsure about exactly what bevel theory means, bevel up and bevel down, how do you actually do it? That's what we're going to be talking about. I've got a presentation that explains how needles are made and then how that needle makes a hole and then what you can do to manipulate that hole through the application of bevel theory. I'm going to be doing my webinar presentation and then also a workshop where you can practice this stuff hands-on while we're talking about it to make sure you dial it in. So you can get more information for both of those classes by going to Body Art Education by Ryan Willette on Facebook or you can go to precisionbodyarts.com slash seminars. Don't forget, I've got a whole lot of content available at patreon.com slash ryanpba on the $15 a month Archmage tier. I recently added a one-hour presentation all about progressive considerations for nipple piercing. It's not technique-based, but it does talk a whole lot about evaluation of anatomy, how you can properly service clients after they've had surgical manipulation on the nipple site or had hormone replacement therapy. So that's a really handy class for people. I also added my basic statum usage and maintenance class and all that and a whole lot more is available at patreon.com slash ryanpba. Go ahead and check that out. And now let's get into the show. You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast and I'm your host, Ryan Willett. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience. I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Hi, welcome to the Piercing Wizard Podcast with your host, Ryan Willett, and me, Lola Slider. Lola Slider. Um, so we're going to talk about the internets today on the show, and it might be a little like meandering, but um, we have a couple different subjects. And really, like, I think what put put this subject on my mind is I've slowly watched a lot of piercers um, go crazy over the last year of like isolation. And I don't want to, uh, I don't want people to forget that a big part of our job as body piercers is communication. And since a lot, a lot of us have been um, at home on lockdowns for a while or have been seeing clients in like a very limited kind of capacity through a face mask and through different policies, you know, appointment only stuff like that. Um, our communication has been getting a little bit uh, strained feeling. I know mine has for sure. Like I am very quick to anxiety and stress and um, like tension in my job. I'm, I'm not great at um, handling multiple stresses at once. Like I, I used to be. So I, I wanted to talk about how that kind of, long-term repeated stress and anxiety can affect um, piercers communication skills. Is that, am I articulating that well from like the conversations we've been having over the last week or two? Well, um, like 
from my understanding, what we were going to be talking about was going to kind of like bounce across a few things, you know, like while we talk about all of the different ways that piercers have have changed how they interact, but also how they've been forced to change how they interact as well. Mm. So like, I don't think that it's meandering. I think that there's just like a lot of different facets to that subject. And one of them is definitely like lockdown induced email anxiety mm -hmm. because like, you know, I don't know what it's like for you still being at work, but for me being in lockdown, it's like whenever I get an email, there's a 99% chance that whatever it is that's in that email, I can't fix it because I can't go to work. So that's what really like took it out of me with that stuff was just like receiving the problem, but not being able to provide a solution. That was a big source of anxiety. Yeah. I I'm, I'm already pretty used to that because of the boundaries that I've set up. Sometimes it's, um, this thing that might feel like an emergency to the client, but it's, it's really not something that I am going to answer at 1230 at night. I'll answer it uh, during my next business hours. So I, it's maybe not the same thing as like, it's impossible for me to help you because I can't touch you in any physical sense. Um, I get what you mean though. Uh, lately for me, it's been clients that need like last minute things. I, I don't know how often it was for you, but it seems like, it's almost a daily thing now where I have to take out people's body jewelry and replace it with uh, a non-metallic retainer for them to get an MRI or some sort of medical procedure. And sometimes the way that medical scheduling goes, people might not have a lot of lead time. And it's like, well, we have you, we can squeeze you in for an MRI in two days, but we're already booked for a week. So um, I would say that that's my most frequent thing where I feel like I can't help someone. Uh, so I, I get what you mean with the anxiety uh, I used to be able to sit down, spend an hour and just knock out everything in my inbox. But you saw me just earlier today, we were like multitasking while we were zooming together. And I was just trying to do a little bit of invoicing and answer some emails. And it was just like a constant anxiety panic attack sensation because everything just felt so, um, I don't know how to even really articulate it like a lot of weight there's just a lot of weight i feel in communication right now and um i just don't i don't really have a lot of strength to carry weight right now well i think the other thing to remember though is that like for most of us we haven't been on holiday in over a year and mm -hmm. for many people like several years and a lot of people forget that because they might also be in lockdown or have had lockdowns, but like we know that lockdowns are in no way a holiday or even like a holiday unless yeah. you're in an incredibly privileged position already. So for like most, you know, working class people, a lockdown is like in no way a holiday and throws up a huge amount of financial and emotional stress. So like forget the fact that there is a pandemic happening, like you haven't had any like time off that was meaningful or the ability to detach in well over a year, you know? So like for somebody that's used to traveling, even if it's for work purposes, like that's something that's obviously going to have like a big knock on effect on your mood. So like, you know, I, I would just keep that in mind that like, that's probably contributing to your stress and your anxiety maybe. Yeah. Uh, the, the first lockdown did feel a, a, a little bit like, Maybe, maybe vacation, holiday, whatever is not the right word, but um, it did feel like this isn't so bad. We'll all have a month at home and then we'll go back to work and everything will be fine. And then a year later, it's just like when I have a day off, that's almost a source of anxiety because 
with this like cycle of needing to feel useful and feel like there's so many piercers that I see just casually self-deprecating um, or like friends of mine where they'll be like, oh yeah, you know, I didn't do dishes today. I'm a piece of shit, you know, or it's like, you know, I didn't eat a vegetable today. I'm a piece of shit. And it's like, you got to, you got to stop putting yourself in that situation because it only escalates and it only gets worse because then it turns into like, well, if I'm not grinding all day, every day, I'm worthless. And it's just, it's so tough because downtime doesn't feel like downtime. It's almost like a sore, it's, it's almost like a wellspring of guilt. If you have that, if you have downtime, maybe you feel guilty that you're not using the downtime in some efficient way. And it's like this never ending cycle. I, maybe I'm just reading into it, you know, as my own thing, like I'm projecting my own feelings onto it, but that's, that's what I feel like when I have downtime now that I'm just wasting my time. No, I mean, like that makes sense. I mean, like we're taught from, well, mo most people are taught from a really young age that like, Hey, if there's a problem, work hard and you can get yourself out of that problem, just work hard. And so you do work hard and like, you know, sometimes that can solve problems and sometimes it doesn't, but then all of a sudden you're put in a pandemic situation where your ability to work is completely taken away and you're just left with this overwhelming feeling of everything's bad, everything's on fire, I have to fix it. The only way I know how is by doing work, which I can't do. So in that way, like working is your coping mechanism to make things better that's suddenly completely gone. Mm -hmm. So you'll just, you know, randomly think, I got to scrub everything in the house or I got to, you know, I got to do something. Or then if you don't do those things, you then feel like, you know, a massive failure. So I, I think that, that that probably makes a lot of sense to people. Well, kind of pulling that towards a conversation of, of talking about communication, um, I've found myself not having as much energy as I used to have with my interactions where I'll give people the bare minimum of information. I'll drive them towards whatever online resources I have for them. Um, but that's kind of it. You know, I'm having a really difficult time uh, replying to emails or messages in a timely fashion. Um, but I, I think you, you made a really smart move when, when you went into this lockdown, you took all of your different platforms and you said, you know, these platforms will not be responding to any sort of inquiries. If you have an inquiry, here is the one and only place that I would prefer you to make it like direct it towards the, the shop general inbox, which I thought was really smart because I'm still, I still find myself juggling multiple platforms and I'm not doing a great job with any of them. I'm doing an okay job with them, but I'm not doing a great job with any of them. So I think it was really smart for you to direct your, your communication that way. Well, that's kind of part of the reason why is like, I knew, like I knew from, I think like pre like previous, all of the different platforms. Cause they're like, there are tons of different ways people can get at me digitally just through like living online and stuff that like my reactions do become shorter and you know more abrupt and more just copy and pasting and and all that kind of stuff and it's not like you're trying to be rude it's just that like you know you run out of gas in the tank for having you know for be from being in extreme isolation to being able to converse with a dozen people like it, you know it's no wonder your brain starts to melt a little bit so if I can just have everything come to my email inbox that does two things like it puts me in immediate control of like my workstation. I have a workstation and I can open up my work specific email, answer questions till they're done. And then I can close it for, you know, maybe even a couple of days. And the other thing that it does is um, it also kind of, it's something kind of bad saying this out loud, but it's true. It kind of limits the amount of, of like um, 
like time wastery messages that I get. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't, I wouldn't want to refer to any potential customer as a time waster, but you'll know as a piercer, you'll often get messages from people on the other side of the world, you know, like who maybe just have a question about something that really anybody could answer. And when you don't have any kind of system in place that funnels people towards one inbox, you kind of have to make it a complete level playing field and give everyone equal priority when in actual fact you're, you know, over here, you might have some customers that really need assistance, but over here, you might have some people that are just making general inquiries that probably won't ever lead to them ever being pierced by you. They just want to talk to you and there's no way for you to know or differentiate. So like just having that tiny extra thing to do, just copy and paste this email address into your, you know, Gmail and send me a message and I'll get back to you. And I will, um, a lot of people that just kind of want someone to talk to, they won't bother to do that because it's mm-hmm. like, you know, they've, they've probably sent 10 piercers a message. So it does kind of help refine the messages I get to be specifically from clients that need specific help, which really makes sure that they get my best efforts and my best form of communication because I'm not worn down by answering like a bunch of DMs from people who are, you know, from all around the world who don't really have emergency inquiries. They just want to be like, hey, I'm in Utah. Do you think I suit a septum piercing? You know, like those kind of level of inquiries and a a kind of crisis time like this, I'm just not able to like prioritize that stuff in the way that I might have been in the past. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's how Uh, you I've I've been noticing that, you know, over the, over this period, before before COVID, I think plenty of piercers had um, a very clear delineation of this is my personal uh, online persona and this is my work online persona. A lot of people would have work-specific Instagram pages, Facebook pages, email addresses, all those things. But plenty of people, myself included, um, like I, a lot of times I consider myself as the brand. You know, I work at this this studio, but... Um, people follow me for piercing content, scarification, education content, whatever. And then I have a little bit of like my personal life stuff more in stories than in the the feed. But, um, now that we're, uh, you know, I, I, around a year into a pandemic, um, the people that didn't have that like work specific page, their, their social media now is very much personal, 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 and maybe they're kind of using it to stay in touch with acquaintances around the world or vent about work things or something. So I wanted to talk about how you, how you differentiate your personal voice from your work voice, especially if you only have that one social media feed. And there there are a couple other conversations I want to have once we get going, but what are some of your thoughts on that? Like personal versus work, like your, your voice that you present online? Well, I only had the one Instagram page for like pretty much since Instagram started right up until about a year ago, I only had my page and it was a combination of personal stuff, yoga stuff, piercing stuff, jewelry stuff. And it was all on the same page. And I really liked it. Like I, I, I liked, like, like you say, you present yourself, as the brand, you know, like I very much approached it the same way. I didn't have like a shop page um, and the studio that I was at didn't really do kind of like piercing promotion the same way. Um, And there wasn't like an Instagram specific for that. And so like, I would just promote my work 
my way, you know, along with my own personal stuff. So I always had to have that kind of frame of mind of this is where all my customers are going to land, but it's also where I share personal stuff. So um, that was something I always had to keep in mind with whatever I was posting. I don't ever want to present something which is, you know, like not real life for me, but I also don't want to share things that are over personal or divisive or potentially hurtful like for example um when you have like a really shitty day like a really really shitty day you don't want to go online and say i had the worst customer today even if you did have the worst customer because one of your other customers might see that and be like maybe they're talking about me you know like that's something that could definitely happen so you know like i might post about you know today was a really hard day but you know i still saw some great customers and just make sure that if i was posting anything negative clients weren't reading it as a deliberate attack on them you know stuff like that was always super important to me and now uh i have a work page like a designated work page because i opened my own studio and just because of the sheer volume of stuff i knew i was going to have to be posting i was like people are going to get sick of the sight of me you know like i'm going to be you know i have to i have to post and promote a lot for the new business so i didn't want my feed to just become battering people with my work images when maybe that's not what they were used to so i thought having a separate designated page for all my work and then cross posting some stuff and, you know, linking my personal and my work stuff occasionally is, is fine. So people can cross back and forth and they can decide if they want to follow my work page. My personal page still gets a lot of work posted to it. So it's still kind of just a mishmash of everything, but it also means if someone's, you know, not interested in looking at my selfies, they can just follow the work page if they Mm -hmm. want where there are less, but not. I like your selfies. Thank you. Um, you brought up a really good point about where, where is the safe space for piercers to vent? And um, uh, I've, I've been guilty of it too. Luckily I was smartened up years ago because I, I had a, a very similar post like, Oh, this, this, you know, not naming a client or anything, but when, you, when you say like, you know, Oh, I had a really difficult client today. If there was a day where you only pierced five people and those five people follow you on social media and one of them knows that you're talking about them, like that's, that's really rude to them. And, um, I, you know, I had a moment like that where I was venting and then somebody was like, Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that I was that rude to you, you know? And it's like, Oh, Oh, you know, horrible faux pas. But I, I do see that, um, piercers are, Maybe they're doing a little bit less work or a little bit less fulfilling work. So maybe they're kind of moving into other things. Like I know TikTok is getting pretty popular and sometimes people will, will post content that in their mind, they're thinking, I'm making this thing about shop life and I'm going to post it. And then my friends who have a comparable shop life, they'll see it and they'll think it's funny and appreciate it. But if you, if you put your social media out there and you promote it to clientele, Um, you're not going to just have your piercer friends watching it. You're going to have plenty of clients. Like if you have 40,000 Instagram followers, like a lot of those are going to be people that you have pierced or people that you might pierce uh, in in the the future. My, um, My social media has a lot of piercers, sure, but it's got loads of clients. So, um, I, I want to put it in people's minds that like, your general Facebook feed or an Instagram post, Instagram story, something like that, that can be seen by a client. It's, it's really not appropriate to um, 
vent about your clients uh, directly or indirectly. And also sometimes when, when piercers make a, like a, almost what they would see as like an info, like an informative video about like, you know, oh, don't do these rude things. Sometimes it can come off as, as unprofessional because like you might be going into it from like the perspective of, oh, I want to make my piercer friends laugh. But if it's at the expense of a client, um, it, it, it doesn't really come across as very professional if that's a platform you're using to promote your professional services. Yeah, you, you sometimes have to ask yourself, am I actually doing this because I think it might change people's behavior or am I doing it because I kind of just want to have a go at people that do this mm -hmm. annoying thing, um, which probably won't change their behavior. Um, I Another kind of aspect to it that's, I mean, it's, it's, pro it's not going to affect a huge amount of people, but, um, you know, I'm a board member for the UK PP and something that I really had to learn like, I mean, I wouldn't say learn the hard way, but like a little bit was that again, like opinions that I post and thoughts that I post and ideas that I post as it relates to piercing. Um, I have to be like really clear when those aren't ideas and thoughts and feelings of the UK PP. Mm -hmm. um, and like, that was something I never, you know, thought about going into it um, was like, well, I'll just, you know, just post what I post and then I'll post UKPP stuff and do that work and people will just know that it's different. Um, but that was another kind of facet of it. So then there's me and then there's my work page and then there's also UKPP related work and how you have to just really go that extra mile to basically just say, hey, this is just me talking and literally just force people to see you wearing a different hat. Um, and I know that's something you have a lot of experience with because you were on the, the board for the APP um, and, and did a lot of work with them. And um, I remember that uh, a post that you made when you were directing um, the Tumblr social media years and years ago was reshared recently. Mm -hmm. And you kind of brought up some feelings about that. And it was um, a post where... Uh, Basically, you were answering a question on Tumblr um, from what I can remember. I think somebody asked, you know, why are piercings so expensive? And you wrote out an answer that was a really, really good, strong answer. But because of the way that you phrased it, it kind of rendered it unusable mm. by the APP. And that limited the reach of the information that you were providing. And if it had been phrased differently, that information would have reached more people and therefore done more good. So like sometimes there are ways that you have like kind of almost have to filter yourself for the greater good. Yeah. But I mean, do you have like, what, what are your feelings about that now? Well, uh, thank you for bringing that up because I, I wanted to talk about it. Um, I, I, I did the, the Tumblr uh, for the APP, the safe piercing Tumblr back when we first started doing social media as like a committee for the APP Um and it was just like, it was myself and Cody Vaughn and we would, we would have a general inbox. We would log in and try to knock out five or 10 answers in a day, post some piercing stuff, reblog some piercing stuff here and there. And at the time I was probably uh, closer to 30 than 40. And I, I wouldn't say that I was you're as, you're 40. <laughs> um, yes. Um, when I was, when I was, very young in my career, when I was like 20 to 25, I was just, you know, a, a 20 to 25 year old piercer. And over time, 
Um, as you learn piercing techniques and other things that are related to professionalism, you really have to learn how to communicate as a professional. And um, so I, I'll, I'll read the post first, and then I, I want to give myself a, a, a criticism. And this, this post went around so much on Tumblr. And uh, just as you said, like, I thought it had really good information, but I used just one phrase that I think negated all the positive information. So the question was, why are your piercings so expensive? I believe, uh, I recall you saying 50 to 60. So my answer was, um, I think a better question is, what is your safety and happiness worth? Sure, you can get cheap piercings, but where do they cut corners to give you that cheap price? Buying cheap jewelry, uh, cheap steel jewelry from China that will make your skin itch from allergic reactions, not having state-of-the-art sterilizers or not testing them, using cheap needles, skimping on cleaning supplies, having outdated aftercare, not taking safety technique or sterilization certification courses, all these things add to the price tag. If you think you're only worth $20, then you'll have no shortage of low-end shops waiting to pierce you. But when your piercing rejects and leaves you with an ugly scar, you may regret that deal. The Association of Professional Piercers is not a gang of greedy people looking to nickel and dime you. The APP is a group of piercers who care about quality over cost and want to give you the very best. So yes, quality piercings cost more, but we think you're worth it. And I was saying that as the APP, you know, the sign-off was Ryan Willett, APP social media. And if the message had been that, what I just said, I would have been very happy with it, but I didn't actually say that. What I said was, you'll have no shortage of crappy shops waiting to pierce you. And I think that um, at the time, my sentiment, what I thought, you know, when I said crappy shops was the shops that just don't care about the quality. They just want your money, get you in, get you out. Like everyone who's a professional piercer knows one of those shops. Like it's, it's very easy when you're talking to another piercer to say that, and they know what you mean. But I was talking to piercing fans, piercing clientele, and I was speaking as the APP. So if there's a piercer out there, if there was 20 year old body piercer Ryan out there, and I saw some representative from the APP saying, well, you know, shops that aren't APP are crappy shops. I would have been hurt and offended. Um, if I saw that as maybe some clients would see that and be like, oh, that's kind of a, a rude thing to say. I'm not going to go to one of these APP piercers because they're pretentious. The APP had that reputation for a really long time. And Cody put in so much work. Everybody else on the social media committees put in so much work. And then I come along trying to say something that I thought was helpful. And then I just, I dismissively call shops crappy shops. And, you know, at, at a point I was a crappy shop. So I, like I, I learned that lesson because uh, that post got tons of reblogs. And then it got to the point where the APP board before I was on the board had to make the decision of like, well, we're not going to share this post anymore. Yes, it makes the rounds and yes, it has the APP and yes, people uh, like agree with the sentiment, but we're not going to share this post anymore because we can't, we can't have anybody thinking that the APP even considers shops to be crappy shops. It was just a rude thing to say. And now I, I look back at, back at it with like, you know, maybe 10 years hindsight. And yeah, it's very obvious. I would never use that kind of terminology now. Um, but at the time I just, you know, I was just shooting off the hip. You know, I read the question and then within 10 seconds I had something answered and posted um, and, and now I think the APP does a great job of training people. Like you're speaking for the organization. You need to know the difference between your voice and your APP voice. So I think what you said is a, a great point. And that is a, 
sometimes a, a painfully difficult lesson you have to make. Yeah, I, I think that it's like, um, it's harder than you think to create that differentiation. I think for me, it's harder with UKPP stuff than it is with like personal professional stuff. Um, because it's a lot, a lot of separating personal and professional is really intuitive. You know, it's almost like people can look at what you're posting and see like, you know, this clearly doesn't look like your work page. And this clearly looks like your work page. But as a piercer, being part of a of a, of a community and then being part of the UKPP. Um, if I make a comment in, I, I tend to really limit my interactions on social media as far as groups go. Um, even just in a personal way, I, I find groups are really stressful and, and not, you know, it's not an environment that I find like conducive to my learning um, mm. in, in any kind of significant way. So like I tend to avoid those spaces, but um, I really had to limit further any interactions I would have had because I don't want to share an opinion. And then like basically ha like there have been times I've had to make posts and literally just say, hey, this is just my thought. It's not a thought of the UKPP. And like it's it's stressful even having to preface things with that. Mm -hmm. But I have had to do that because I can totally see why people would see me posting something and then as as being a member of the organization, thinking that it was like a UKPP thought when it's just kind of like my sure. personal thought and I definitely had to learn that the hard way and there were a couple of instances where I got into situations where I had to be like what no like this is just me like I was just saying that and then it's like you know it's 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 harder to fit things back in in the box you mm. know like once they're out so like that for me was definitely a, a challenging way to learn to adapt to social media um not that if I wasn't uh, on on the UKPP board I would just be like you know blurting opinions out all over the place I've never really been that way very much on social media but it, it does make you kind of like slow things down and take kind of one extra you know pause to review something before posting it and sharing it mm -hmm. um being a representative of that organization I think um I I think the APP and and other organizations do a really good job of training people uh, for, for that now, I, I think, uh, when we started with the big push towards social media, a lot of us were just winging it and we had to kind of learn some lessons and then pass those on to the, the next generation. And now I think, um, uh, instructors and, and people related to social media, that's one of the first things it's like, whatever you say in post is seen as the organization saying and posting that. So just be very conscious of the, the terminology you, you, you use and, um, the information you provide. So. You That's know, learning something. as I go. Sorry, go on. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, it's basically it. Learn as I go. Well, I, I was just going to say that, like, even when I joined, that the UKPP is still so new. Like, when I joined, there wasn't the systems in place that there are now to even do, like, kind of onboarding, you know, like, induction orientation type stuff. I mean, you do get, um, you know, like, brought on board and introduced to stuff, but not but not in not in the way that it is now, like not in any kind of formal way. And then last year, um, working on and publishing the UKPP's first policy handbook was kind of the first real um, like hard copy list of like instructions is this is what we have to do to people that are entering the board. This is what the information they have to be given. And, you know, like here's some of the stuff that we have to do to make sure that they have the equipment to do their roles properly. Um, and one of the one of the things that we did kind of cover 
in just this recent election cycle, bringing on two board, two new board members is, um, you know, being able to be conscious of that separation of, um, you know, personal and professional. And you almost have to treat your board role like you would treat your job at your work, you know, and you have to be able to create that degree of separation and not take things personally and present things as you would, um, you know, maybe even to a client, like that's the, the tone that you should be using in your posting. And um, I think that new board members have hopefully got better access to support and, um, and, and just education in their roles than previous ones might have done. And hopefully that can keep getting better. Um, but like for me, it was definitely like a bit more of a messy learning experience. Yeah. Well, I, I think you're doing a really good job of it. And uh, it's, it's putting in that hard work now. That means five years from now, 10 years from now, your organization will, will have already worked it out. So they don't have to learn lessons the hard way because they've got a manual. Uh, do you want to maybe talk about the election news really quick? Because uh, you just had two new people coming on so we can maybe give them a shout out and because they're both going to be in very important communication roles. Yeah, well, we have um, Alex Wilkins as the, the new medical liaison for the UKPP, which is really cool. Um, we haven't had a medical liaison in quite a little while. Um, we've been working at a reduced capacity board for, um, I think, the last six months. Um, I'm a little bit foggy on my timelines at the moment, but um, uh, it's good to have somebody in that specific role again so that we can have someone do some work on some really targeted and specific issues um, that are going on just now. And um, we also have Becky Crossan as the new social outreach coordinator, which is a super important role. Um, and I think that we haven't appreciated in the past just how important that role really is. I mean, all the roles are valued and they're important, but I think more than ever, um, being able to communicate effectively on digital platforms and have, um, just really like well-coordinated social media presence and outreach to just help bridge the gap between members and what the board are doing um, is so, so important. And the pandemic's definitely like, you know, heightened how important that role actually is in terms of like communication. Because one of the problems we had throughout the last year is looking at times like we're not doing very much because so much of what we're doing is done and then it's not communicated effectively to members. So that's something that we really tried to revamp to make sure that people are getting updated more regularly as to what's actually going on and what we're doing for them. Um, but actually having somebody present on our platforms to just basically make people's inquiries feel acknowledged and help direct them to where it is they need to go and who they need to talk to, as well as managing all of the content that we're sharing and stuff. It's a really important role so we're really excited to have becky that's great um yeah they're they're both people that i uh had seen be like really engaged with the community so it, it's great seeing people have that confidence to be able to um run for a, a a board position or to volunteer for committees or to just get involved so it it's great to see people um stepping into those roles so congratulations Alex, there i sorry I was going to say Alex has been a member for a long time as well. Like he's, he's one of the longer members of the UKPP. So I think he'll have a really good perspective just in terms of like the overview of the organization and its history up to this point. So it's very exciting. Also, you have somebody extra you can talk to about wrestling. So uh, we uh, have 
kind of a bonus interview where you're talking to Kelly Carvara about, um, well, I'll leave it for the interview. You know, it's it's about how some piercers have kind of shifted over uh, the platforms that they're that they're using to um, communicate with people, uh, adult oriented content, private community oriented content. Um, you made a, a really good point as you as you were preparing for that interview to not just reduce um, the whole conversation to just like private community content because there, there's so much that falls into that. It's almost like too vague. Like your interview with Kelly is very like only fans specific, um, but there is a lot of other closed community content being generated by piercers now as like alternate revenue streams and communication there. I, I think a lot of it would fall into the positive category, but I still want to put on people's minds like, if you're doing something else on the side for just your own energy or your own income or just your own interest, something to do, something different to do, keep in mind that if you're doing it as, hey, I'm a body piercer doing this extra thing, just be very mindful of how you communicate with people. If you're doing Twitch or TikTok or I'm doing like a bunch of stuff on Patreon, like I'm very conscious that I'm doing it as a body piercer and I'm not just doing it as Private Ryan. So um it's just, it's good to keep on people's minds. Do you have any thoughts related to that, to that, like the overall private community content? Yeah. Um, I, I think that piercers are as a group, incredibly creative. And um, I, I think that in a way it's actually really cool to see some of the ways that we immediately like change when we're faced with adversity and think, how can I take this and somehow turn it into money because I don't have any. And like, I think that that's like a really fun, cool quality that um, communities that are particularly like self-employed orientated have where they're forced to adapt to very difficult situations or when your circumstance can change really quickly. So like, I actually think it's really cool to see so many people in the community, like not just creating private content, but like making things and selling things and, you know, like doing all that kind of stuff. Like it's actually really neat, not just to see what other stuff people can do that maybe they hadn't been as public with before, but just seeing people be creative um, to, to try and stay on top of things because like, you know, like it, it is a fringe community and we do rely on each other and like promoting each other and like, um, you know, spending money where we can on each other's individual projects. So I, I think that that's actually like quite wholesome. Um, and I know that you were doing Patreon before the pandemic started, but it definitely gave you something to like sink your teeth into. And because you're, you're so motivated and work driven when you were on lockdown last year, it really gave you something to like turn all of your attention to and focus a lot more energy on, which I think was a great outlet for you. Um, and like alternatively, I actually had kind of a different experience with it where um, I, uh, for just a couple of months, created a Patreon to do some yoga content. Not, not so much educational because I'm not qualified yoga instructor and that's like a whole job in itself, but really just like sharing some of my practice, writing blogs, sharing maybe some modifications that I would make to my practice to try and include people with different body types or mobility issues um, to just try and like encourage some people to, to take up yoga during lockdown. And at first it seemed like this great idea and like something I could totally do because I do yoga all the time. So like, why not monetize this? 
And what I actually found was that I immediately felt a huge amount of pressure and stress at knowing that I had to create this content now and the fear that if I didn't, I would be letting people down that had contributed money towards me. And then it was like yoga was my you know, escape from everything in the world that was just crushing me down. And now all of a sudden that had become something that was monetized and therefore there was a pressure around it that there wasn't before. And so it was weird, but for me, even though I got amazing love and support from the people that followed the page, like everyone was really kind and really supportive. Eventually I just had to shut the page down and be like, I'm really sorry. Thank you so much for all your support. But like at this point in time, I'm really struggling to even just care for myself. So like waking up in the morning and thinking I have to make and produce a video that's suitable today. It was just, it was too much for me and I couldn't handle it, which I thought was like, an interesting perspective because so many people think that online content creation is like easy money or whatever mm. and it's really not like it, it like definitely wasn't something that was for me and you put a huge amount of work into your online content so like I know that for some people it can be a bit of fun and that's awesome but like it can also be a, a lot of work on on its own as well yeah. Thanks for reminding me that I don't really want to do it anymore, but I still do it because like I, I, uh, you know, I have the, the, the income factor of it. Um, I remember sometime during 2020, I thought of like, well, maybe I could get a, a Twitch page because like I play call of duty every day. And then I really looked into it as to like how much time you really need to put into it in a week to really make any money on Twitch. And it's like, I don't know, 20 hours or something like that. And it's like, I, yeah, you know, I could probably pay, play video games 20 hours in a week. But if I try to add that pressure on top of, well, I'm piercing a couple of days a week, I'm running a studio and going in and doing the office. I'm trying to do all this Patreon content, educational content. And I'm just trying to like take care of myself, shower and eat food and talk to my girlfriend and stuff. Like you, you just kind of laid it out for me of like, why do you want to take one of the few things that you take joy in and then try to turn it into more work? Yeah, I remember that was after like I kind of ended doing Patreon and like I remember the Call of Duty phase. I mean, like you've never really stopped playing Call of Duty, but I remember you had like a full on like it's just me and Call of Duty. We're the only people here for like a few weeks, you know, like that was like a period. And, um, and I remember you talking about like doing Twitch and at that point it was becoming really popular and again, something a lot of piercers were doing and just, you know, from the outside, it looks like they're just turning something fun into money which always looks great but like after having experienced the yoga thing and knowing you and knowing how hard you work and how struggle you and how much you struggle to genuinely like completely turn off I was like I just can't think of anything worse than taking that one thing that seems to really just take you out of everything everything to do with money everything to do with the internet and work and like making that now be internet work like I just I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. And right now you could actually be massively Twitch famous and I've robbed you of that. Eh. But like, I, I think that you need to keep that for you. Yeah. Um, I don't like to do anything half-ass. Not to say that there aren't things I do half-ass, but I don't like to do things half-ass. And um, I feel like if I started that Twitch thing, Within a week, I would have some sort of fucking con command console with a green screen and headsets. And I'd be like, you know, hey, fans, how's it going? We're going to do that. You know, it's like <laughs> I, I would I know that I would turn myself into that. And I don't think that there would be any joy in it. So, 
Yeah, yeah. Smart. I think that's what made me really double down on Patreon and doing the classes. I was like nibbling around the edges and my Patreon at first was basically just like, yeah, I'll post some podcast related stuff. And if you want to throw me two bucks a month, five bucks a month, cause you like the show, thank you. But you know, I'm not really promising a lot for content. And then after the initial lockdown, when I, I did a bunch of free classes, I recorded them all. And I was like, well, I'll just, I'll stick them on my Patreon for like on-demand viewing. And if people want to watch them later on, sure, that's great. And then people responded really well to that. And I was like, hey, I've got like a whole bunch of classes. I could record a whole bunch of stuff and then make this Patreon like a thing. And now um, I do like it, but I have to find myself like throttling how much I will put into it because, um, you know, it's, it's only, I charge $15 a month and it's like, I, I don't want to make it be this other thing that I hate because I just can't grind out the content. Like I want to have enough content where people think that there's some value and they'll maybe want to stick around for a while, but I, I can't, I just, I don't have it in me to generate a lot of stuff right now. Like, and it's, it's frustrating because, uh, before pandemic, I, I had so many different things going, traveling and the shop and all kinds of stuff. And now I, I just, every day is about like, how much can I get done before I run out of energy? Uh, and then there are plenty of days where it's like, well, I didn't do all the things I needed to do, but I'm certainly out of energy. So hopefully tomorrow goes better. And that's really what most of my days are now. So now it's like, it's, it's this kind of cycle of like anxiety, guilt, work income like balancing all these these things and it's uh it's le it's less fun than than I than I hoped it would have been well i think that's one of the reasons that your patreon works really well though is cuz it's something that happened more organically because you know you said like well i i'm used to teaching and i can't teach so i'll teach online and that gives me these classes and now i can use them on patreon and it's probably the same with like the twitch stuff you know people that had that idea early to kind of like well i can roll this thing into this thing and it's a bit more organic i think that's when it works best but i think when you see someone doing something and think i could do that and you force it like basically like that's what i did with you know like making patreon it's like oh well you know ryan does patreon and he seems to be on top of it pretty well and i do yoga every day so why not and for me it was just like i just didn't i i couldn't um you know find a, a way to to do that that didn't just feel like i was taking the one escape that i had mm -hmm. and then making that performative um and then just therefore like robbing all of the joy out of it yeah. um so I think when when things can happen like organically and naturally and you can just combine something you love doing anyway um, with your profession and, you know, use it to help support you, then, you know, like those things tend to work the best. So I, I think that's why your Patreon has, has been like a really good resource for a lot of people is because you can tell that there's like enthusiasm and passion behind it and it's not just performative. Yeah. Maybe we can uh, monetize... Uh, find a way to monetize people can watch us live streaming Pokemon episodes and just talking about Pokemon. I'd, can, can I tell people about your names? Yeah, sure. For some so Ryan's never seen Pokemon, like Pokemon Indigo League, like original Pokemon. Um, he'd never seen that before. And uh, so, and I have obviously. So we started watching it together and um, Ryan uh, 
started making up like cute names for the Pokemon. So what I'm going to do is say a couple of the names and people can try and guess in their head what those Pokemon are. And I'm not going to say what they are. They can just imagine. So one of them is Spaghetti Phantom. There's um, Lumpy Lava Duck. Uh, let me think what else. Onion Dragon. Onion Dragon. That's a good one. Um, oh, one of mine is Space Kangaroo. Space. <laughs> uh, that was, I came up with that one. That's a good one. Let me see if I can think of one more. What was the other one from the other night? Um, oh, it was um, Celery Pigeon. Celery Pigeon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, a lot of the names are just nonsense words already. So, I, you know, I don't, I don't have a problem just making up my own nonsense words for these like silly creatures. It's a fun show, though. Uh, I am liking it, and we're, you know, we'll watch the Pokemon movie soon. Um, I, I don't want to say what yet, but as like a very early teaser, Lola and I are planning on recording a watch along podcast episode that will be related to piercing content. So, um, what? It's not the Pokemon movie. It's not the Pokemon movie. Um, it's the poke some man movie. Uh, but yeah, we're going to do a watch along episode, um, within the next few weeks, but I don't, I don't want to give it away just yet, but I can tell you it's going to be ridiculous. Um, so I'm kind of getting to the end of my, my notes for communication. So before we get into that interview with you and Kelly, I wanted to do some plugs. Um, first off, uh, the, the next episode that I publish after this one will be um, the launch of APP Benelux. So that will be a piercing association for the Netherlands, uh, Belgium, and Luxembourg. So uh, that's a brand new organization launching on March 1st. And on March 1st, I will have uh, an episode publishing with uh, the president of that organization. So Stay tuned for that. That should be a good one. Um, as we've been talking about with Patreon, uh, I've been I've been really trying to give dependable content on there. You know, I have to be realistic that I can't give people like hours of new content every month, but I'm trying to put up at least some sort of new content every month. And I just recently published um, the progressive considerations for nipple piercing class. Um, that's all, all different stuff related to nipple piercing. That's not the actual, like pushing a needle through a nipple part. It's like how to evaluate anatomy on different body types, um, how to plan and evaluate for piercing after various surgeries or uh, hormone re replacement therapy, how to evaluate and uh, properly service clients with, um, a flatter nipple or an inverted nipple. So I've been getting some really good feedback from that one. That's uh, about an hour long class on there. And then there's a handful of other classes and that's all available on demand for $15 a month. If you want, you can get just one month and then cancel. Um, or, you know, hopefully I can put up enough content that makes you want to stick around for a little while, but I've got, I think close to a dozen videos that are all around an hour long. I've got a couple of talks on scarification. I've got that new nipple class. I've got a, a statum class, basic statum usage and maintenance. So um, there's, there's a pretty good amount of uh, variety on there on the $15 a month Archmage tier. Um, I want to promote that I'm going to be doing a completely free class on Sunday, February 28th. That's my grandmother's birthday. And the day after your birthday, you gorgeous woman. 
but I'll be doing a, a totally free class on Sunday, February 28th. Uh, the subject is going to be about gloves. Um, I, I welcome any questions that people might have, but I'm going to talk about a little bit uh, on like what gloves are appropriate and inappropriate for certain jobs in the shop. Uh, the thing that, that put it on my mind is we got a donation from a client. They said that uh, at their job, they got kind of a, sur a surplus of gloves. And would we like some? Because um, we were just casually mentioning like how expensive our gloves have gotten pre-pandemic. The gloves that we were using were around four or $5 per box. And now they're up to like 14 to $15 per box, which is a huge huge price increase, especially on something that you're going through like cases of gloves, depending on the volume of your shop. Um, so this person had a surplus of gloves. They ended up dropping them off and some of them were nitrile, but the majority of them were vinyl. Um, so, you know, we had to make a policy of like, okay, you can use these vinyl gloves on just these very specific tasks, but I don't consider vinyl to be appropriate if you're handling things like contaminated waste or contaminated tools for reprocessing um, the medical type grade disinfectants. Like we wouldn't be using vinyl if we're disinfecting uh, a work surface after performing a, a, a client service, but we'd be fine using vinyl gloves for like general cleaning, like clean the countertops in the lobby or, you know, things like that. So we, we are definitely using them and it, it definitely is um, a, a financial bonus uh, for me to not have to buy. It's like, you know, a full two cases worth of gloves. So that's great. But um, I wouldn't want people misusing certain kinds of gloves. So I am going to be talking about that in a class, what gloves are appropriate and inappropriate for use uh, in certain tasks in a body art studio. I'll be talking a lot about sterile gloves and how to properly don them, how to properly put them on. Uh, some piercers who are using sterile gloves were never instructed how to put them on and, and they might be putting them on incorrectly. Or, um, people might not have ever dealt with, with sterile gloves, they might be a little bit intimidated by it. So I'm going to be talking about that uh, and just different glove things. Like, can you sterilize your own gloves in your studio? Um, is that, that hand button on a statum for sterilizing gloves? All those things, I'm going to answer those questions. And that'll be a totally free class. So if you're interested, go to the Body Art Education by Ryan Willett Facebook page. Um, I'll have some information uh, uh, up on there. You can go to precisionbodyarts.com slash seminars. You can message me on social media or email me at ryanpbagmail.com. But keep your, uh, keep your day free on Sunday, February 28th. It's going to be at one o'clock in the afternoon, Eastern US time. So it'll be uh, whatever for your local region. Just check that and make sure you have the times right. And then uh, my goal is to record that class and that will go up on my Patreon in March. So um, that's basically how I'm creating the content. I'll, I'll do one class, the nipple class I did to support Lola's Prince Albert class, which I also just want to say you did a really fantastic job on. Thank you. Um, and then the, the last thing that I want to promote is I'm going to be doing my big bevel theory um, webinar and workshop on Sunday, March 7th. And um, this is my favorite class to teach. I've had the most opportunities to teach this class. I've taught it numerous times live and online. Um, I feel like I have it dialed in really well. I've gotten a lot of uh, um, response from previous classes and I've always tried to roll that into um, making the next class even stronger. So it'll be a, a presentation talking all about how needles are made and, and how the needle physically makes a hole. Like what does the needle do? Like it's pointy and it makes a hole, but like exactly what's going on on a physics level. And then once you understand that, you can understand how to 
um, tweak the way you use the needle so that you can reduce tissue trauma. Um, it makes a really significant impact on the actual type of wound you're making rather than like trying to punch a hole or punch like a U-shaped chunk out of somebody. You're just making a, a small slit and that can really uh, change how easy it is for something to heal. Um, the sensation that people have when they're getting pierced, the ease of you as the piercer being able to, to do the piercing. So bevel theory can be hugely important. And then I'm also going to be doing um, a live workshop. We're going to be piercing bananas, not people. But you know, if you have bananas and needles ready, uh, we're going to be doing workshop stuff, workshop exercises. I'm going to guide you through everything so that you'll you'll get it. If you've ever been unsure as to what that whole like bevel up, bevel down thing means or bevel theory, if you've heard it talked about, but you don't uh, have a comfort level with it yet, take this class. It's available for all piercers, regardless of their, their skill level, their experience level. As long as you're a professional piercer working in a studio, um, I will happily register you. You can get all the information again by uh, following Body Art Education by Ryan Willett on Facebook. There's an event page there and uh, a link to the registration. And you can also just go to my website, precisionbodyarts.com slash seminars. But that'll be Sunday, March 7th. Uh, check the, the local time in your region. But uh, I would love to have you there. We've got a, a good group of people signed up so far. I would like to get that beefed up. Um, this is probably going to be the only uh, offering I do of this one for the winter and spring. I don't, I don't see myself doing this class again. Um, ideally, I would like to be able to start offering it again as a live class later on this year. Fingers crossed. But I don't want to set myself up for disappointment yet again. I think with um with your bevel theory class, one of the things about it that's um kind of so interesting and unique is that it really allows the adequate amount of time and space required to have the conversation about bevel theory. Because I think a lot of piercers will kind of just, you know, ask one of their peers or ask a mentor. I've been asked before, like, so how does bevel theory work? As if it's a question like, hey, what's internally threaded jewelry? Like mm -hmm. there's but there's not an answer to it that's like it's this thing. Um, you can you can you can basically define bevel theory as like, you know, the way that your blade needle makes a hole and like, you know how you know how that works. But that's not really answering the question of what it is or how to control any of those variables. And for such a tiny object, it's always really interesting to see like how many variables it has because I think that's what catches a lot of people out they just look at it and think well how can I get this wrong and it's crazy how like those tiny differences of like millimeters and angling and bending and shaping can actually like prevent significant amounts of bleeding or like reduce trauma like the the the, the amount of visual difference between using bevel theory correctly and either using it badly or not using it at all are like immediately noticeable to the human eye. So like, I think some people maybe don't appreciate how big of a subject it is because you're talking about things that are so tiny, Yeah. but it's like crazy how like immediately different visually the results are. So like, I just think it's cool how something that's so tiny has such a massive visual impact in the work that we do. It's really cool. Yeah, that's kind of why I made this class because I was held back for a really long time when I would take other classes at conference if if they were based on the on bevel theory being a foundation of the principles that they would talk about, they didn't really do much of a job to explain bevel theory. They just did the whole like everybody gets bevel theory, right? Okay, well now on to the next thing and plenty of people were left just being quiet being like I have no fucking I have no idea and they didn't want to be the person to put their hand up and feel silly, so that's what this class is. It's, um, it's for people that 
didn't get it and want to get it. And it's written by a person that for a long time, I didn't get it. And I knew that I needed to get it to advance. So that's what this class is, is for. Um, I lay it out in the simplest terms and uh, I, I build the foundation. I explain it, I demonstrate it, and then I show you how you can, you can do it in your own hands. And I'm very confident that regardless of your skill level, a lot or a little, um, by the end of this day, you'll, you'll at least have it down where you can feel comfortable maybe folding it into your, your work practices uh, in the future. So I, I would love to have you there Sunday, March 7th. Um, maybe I can convince Lola to be there too because she's my good luck charm when it comes to classes. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything else on your mind? Let me see. What were we talking about? Piercers and social Pokemon. media. Related. Mostly Pokemon. Um, angry soccer ball was, I think another Pokemon name. I think that was for geo dude. No, wait, no, it wasn't. That was for, um, a different one. Yeah. Okay. I'm not, I'm not going to say what their names are so I can leave it to people's imagination and they can right. guess. Don't want to spoil the illusion. Um, so right now through the power of editing, we will transition into a conversation with, uh, with Kelly Carvara and uh, Lola Slider. Yes, it was very, very good. I enjoyed getting to do it. Um, my name is Kelly Carvara. Uh, I own Monarch Fine Jewelry and Professional Piercing in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, you can find me on Facebook. That's pretty easy. I'm the only Kelly Carvara. And uh, on Instagram, I'm Big Labia Energy underscore. Hi. Um, so Hi. My, my name is Lola Slider, and, um, and I'm here to to do a, a little interview with Kelly, who's very kindly agreed to do a bit of Q&A with me today. Um, I haven't done uh, a, an interview for Ryan on the Piercing Wizard podcast before, so this is kind of like a first for me. So thank you very much for, for agreeing to do the interview and helping us out with the topic. I think that it's gonna be really helpful to a lot of people and, uh, and really interesting. Um, so just to kind of give a brief introduction to what it is we're going to be talking about, um, Ryan and I were kind of brainstorming some ideas for potential podcast subjects. And one of the things that we kind of got onto was just how massively the pandemic has changed, how piercers interact on social media and ways they've had to diversify their social media for all different kinds of reasons. And uh, it, <clears throat> I did realize, you know, very early on in the pandemic that there was a really big increase in the amount of people in the piercing community, specifically producing adult content. Um, and it kind of felt like a little bit of a disservice to omit that from the conversation. But at the same time, neither Ryan nor myself produces adult content. So it was really important for us to have somebody on to actually speak to that experience a little bit. Um, so thanks very much for agreeing to do that and, and coming on to represent that, that point of view. Um, the first thing that I wanted to ask uh, was, obviously this is something that uh, started for a lot of piercers early on in the pandemic due to the sudden needs to kind of diversify and find other ways to uh, generate revenue for themselves, to support themselves. Was this something that you were doing before or was it something that started for you because of the pandemic or was that already part of your life? Um, it was not at all part of my life pre-COVID. Um, I've always in a way admired adult film stars just because they, like, they don't give a fuck what you think about their body or their, their status or, you know, 
code of ethics, like they, they're comfortable in ways and, and they're free in ways that like most of us will never be. And I've always envied that. Um, I, I've been really fortunate, like financially I'm doing okay. I was sitting on a lot of savings before COVID hit. Um, so I'm doing okay. The, the studio is doing okay. Um, the reason I started doing OnlyFans in the first place is I was in, uh, I've been in a, a long-term relationship with someone whose sex drive didn't match mine. And we tried all sorts of solutions. And I, I actually only heard of OnlyFans like a few, maybe like six months ago. I'd never even heard of it before that. But um, I just thought it would be like a, a fun way to express my sexuality and you know, use up some of that energy. And I was, I certainly, because of COVID, especially, I wasn't into like meeting up with anybody else. So it's just been a, a really fun way to explore my sexuality and like making money doesn't suck either. And so in that you didn't initially start doing um, adult content creation for financial purposes, like some individuals did earlier on in the mm -hmm. pandemic. Do you feel that maybe that wave of people um, starting to produce adult content was in a way a little bit more freeing for you to move into that space where maybe before you might not have felt comfortable to do so? Do you think that that helped in some ways? Um, sure. I mean, I, I didn't have the added pressure of like, fuck, I need to post every day. I need to promote all the time. Otherwise, like, how am I going to make ends meet? Like, I didn't have that kind of weight on my shoulders. Yeah. So, so it's been a lot more of a hobby than like a stressful job for me. Cool. Um, so the second thing that I wanted to ask about was um, just in terms of this being a, a secondary source of income and a secondary career for the majority of piercers that are currently involved in that space. Um, I think on the one hand, that sudden surge in people doing that type of content creation can be great in helping to destigmatize um, sex work, uh, at least on that platform to a degree, which is always a good thing. But do you feel that there's any uh, risk of sex workers being marginalized as more people kind of move into that space to experiment with it a little bit when maybe for them, you know, it isn't a real way of life and it isn't the primary source of income? Um, just to clarify, do you mean like are people who are doing it as a hobby or like piercers jumping in as a side hustle, like taking away from sex workers do it full time? Well, not so much taking away, but do you feel that there's any risk of sex workers feeling or being marginalized in a sense that this is something that they've maybe been doing for a long time? And now there are lots of other people kind of flocking to that space. Do you think it makes it harder for them to survive in the industry? Or do you think that it maybe makes it feel like there's a degree of tourism that they might not be comfortable with? Do you think that there's any risk of that? Um, I think there are pros and cons. I... I mean, I'm in some other Facebook groups for um, adult content creators that are not specific to piercers. It's just all content creators uniting. Um, and there are certainly some people who've like been in it for years, who this is their full-time job. And they voiced uh, frustration at people who like just started doing it for shits and giggles during the pandemic or, you know, as a side hustle in the pandemic. Um, which I can kind of see that um, with piercers specifically. I think that heavily modified people offer kind of like a, a niche, we're kind of a niche group and offered somewhat of a, I guess, content for people seeking out that kind of fetish. Yeah. So people who don't have that to offer already, I don't think we're taking away from those people. Um, yeah. 
It's, it's, it's just, uh, I felt that in particular, I know it's real hard subject matter and, and I don't, I certainly don't have like a, you know, right or wrong viewpoint on it or answer to it because I, I, sure. I don't even feel like I'm a part of that community. It just felt like it was something that was worth asking so that maybe oh, definitely. if there were piercers that were potentially being a bit insensitive to those issues, they might just at least consider it for a moment. Um, but I, I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's so complicated and you, it's, you know, there's no way to own or have a monopoly over a space. Um, and like you say, as piercers, we are part of like a community that exists almost on the fringe of society already. So I think there's probably a lot of comparisons there. Um, I just thought that it would be it would be good to just at least include that viewpoint in the conversation, if that's OK. Yeah, definitely. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add on that or can I, or shall I move on to my next question? Um. It's okay if there's not. I just didn't want to cut you off or anything. No, no, no. I understand. Um, I feel like there was something I was going to say. We can come back to it anytime if you think of anything else. Oh, no. I'm, I'm just thinking about, like, the, the concept, which is certainly valid of, uh, of, like, you know, more people jumping into the pool or, like, taking away space from people who've been at it full time. I certainly don't want you to feel like I'm trying to put all the pressure of this conversation and viewpoint. No, like, not at all. Representative for the community. It's, it's just, I thought it would just be, be nice to, to at least share a couple of viewpoints, maybe get a couple of people at home talking about it. So please don't feel any stress or pressure on the subject. That's the last thing we want. Oh, no, no, no. I was just, you know, something I wanted to add was, um, one thing I noticed very quickly was that, you know, if I put in, just a little bit of effort, just like throwing out some pictures, some videos, barely promoting, you know, if, if you're doing it kind of like a hobby or a part-time gig or a side hustle, yeah. you get that return. You get like maybe a little bit of money, like some extra cash. But if you're putting in full-time effort, like a full-time job, seriously promoting, then you're paid like a full-time, like it's a full-time job. So um, I think people who are putting in the effort are hopefully seeing that in return. Yeah. Um, so what I wanted to ask you about next was um, something that uh, piercers might find a little bit tricky um, in between kind of juggling their their primary source of income and um, their like side hustle, as you would say. Um, not everybody chooses to create a, a kind of separate persona for themselves. Some people will have their kind of day job and then they'll have a kind of separate persona where they'll do their content creation. And, you know, they're, they're maybe not completely exclusive of each other, but they're very much kind of two separate hats almost. And very some much. people just ha have everything fed into the same kind of feed and, and they don't separate things, which is just an individual choice, really. Mm -hmm. But as a studio owner, this isn't maybe something that you'll have had to uh, encounter before because you're just working for yourself. But is there any suggestions or advice you would give to piercers who work for somebody else? And maybe their boss isn't comfortable um, having clients directed to a work stream that also features a lot of adult, adult content creation and promotion. Obviously, your boss shouldn't really have any say in what it is you're doing outside of work and in your free time. But in sure. terms of if you have the same feed for promoting your piercing work and promoting adult content creation, how do you how would you find that a piercer could navigate potentially a difficult conversation with their boss, you know, about overstepping into their privacy, but also, you know, 
listening to, to their views about where customers are being directed to? Um, I mean, that's certainly tricky because I can't speak for any other employees or studio owners. Um, I know how I would handle things at my studio if, if one of my employees were, you know, creating and uh, promoting adult content, which is that I wouldn't care what they were posting on their personal social media. Yeah. Um, I would care if they were, if there were links, uh, let's say somewhere that was for the shop yeah. that also had links to their adult content, that would not be acceptable. But if in their own time on their personal Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, they had links to both things, I wouldn't mind that. Um, I, I can understand how some studio owners might not want both avenues in the same place, I suppose. I think that's um, like a really sensible and, and well-rounded viewpoint that you have, you know, like that speaks to your experience, obviously, as a, as a piercer and as a person. Thank you. Um, um, yeah, no, I'm, I mean, that's certainly some, oh, sorry, go ahead. I just said I didn't mean to interrupt, but then I interrupted you again when I was saying I'm sorry. <laughs> You're fine. Um, just the fun parts of Zoom. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, that's, that's certainly a discussion to be had unless there's already, I mean, unless the studio already has like a code of conduct policy in their employee manual, then like, I suppose an employee would have to adhere to that. But I, I agree with you. I've always believed that like an employer doesn't own or have any bearing over what an employee does in their own free time. You just offer them a job, they do the job, and then they get to be a person after they leave. Yeah. I think that like one of the things that I've talked with Ryan about a few times is how I think some particular younger piercers and some older ones as well kind of really struggle with communication and it could potentially almost be like like a storm in a teacup when there's like a simple conversation that could be had and people are maybe a bit intimidated to have it and there may be like you know if a piercer is is funneling all of their piercing business and content creation business to the same page but then that's the page that a studio is promoting an employer might feel like a bit awkward and intimidated about bringing up the subject because they might not want to make the employee feel like they're being judged in any way but it might make them uncomfortable and alternatively an employee might feel attacked and made uncomfortable if their employer brings up the topic to them so I thought it would be kind of a good question to just throw out there to see how you know it could be dealt with sensibly um, and yeah, like, understandable. I, I think that, you know, if if your studio is promoting your work page through things like business cards and flyers that they're paying for and they're advertising your work, you know, like it potentially might make them a bit uncomfortable if you suddenly really rapidly change the content that you're creating. And that's also the avenue that's, that your customers are all directed to. Um, well, that's but, an interesting point that I, I hadn't even considered is that you know, uh, an employee's personal social media would even be on their business cards. Yeah, so it's kind that of, I wouldn't think to do in the first place. All, all of this stuff, like uh, this kind of like, you know, explosion of people shifting and diversifying um, how they generate income in that way, just kind of brings up stuff that like people might never have thought of before. So I don't know, I just kind of wanted to bring up the issue so that people, you know, kind of maybe felt a bit more like if they were if they were thinking about it or having those concerns, they can totally safely have that conversation with their boss, hopefully, if they have any kind of healthy relationship and just make sure that neither of them are carrying any kind of like 
underlying tensions about the issue. But I, I agree with you. I think it can completely be done in a way that's like totally reasonable and professional and, and doesn't put anybody out. But it's definitely something I think people might struggle to communicate about. Oh, certainly. And I, I would hope that if, I know, I, I just also feel like if someone's adult enough to own a business or if they're adult enough to be having sex or creating adult content, they should hopefully be adult enough to be able to have difficult conversations about such things. So I, I would really hope that, you know, if, if someone's in a healthy work environment, they can openly discuss something like that with their employer. Yeah, that's the hope, definitely. It just reminded me years and years ago, maybe almost 10 years ago, somebody that I, my, my employer at the time had some leaflets printed and they featured everyone that worked in their studio and their social media. And I think they spent, you know, thousands on this. It was to get an enormous bulk order. And then a month later, one of the artists quit their job and left. And I just remember for weeks afterwards, because they didn't want to waste the money and throw the flyers away, they had us just sit and like cut them out of like each individual one for a week. I've done the exact same thing. <laughs> we took a Sharpie to all the business cards. It took so long. I remember that we did all different kinds of techniques. At one point we were like cutting two apart and then like gluing them back together with this like aerosol glue. And we were just like, really sure this isn't healthy. Now that I think about it. Yeah, it just popped oh, in there. Maybe have a conversation with your staff before mass producing um, like paper content with their information on it. it. Would be just generally good advice regardless of content creation. Yeah, holy heck. Um, so what Monarch does is, you know, I have um, business cards for just the studio like Monarch, you know, the address, the website, things like that. Um, and then I have my personal card like as the owner, piercer, um, and it's kind of like resume-ish, like credentials, and then the shop's contact information. My personal social media is not on there. Um, and with other employees, I would do it the same way because I, I believe really strongly in separating your work and personal life and to not have clients messaging you directly on your own time, your own Facebook Messenger, your own social media. If they have questions for the studio, hopefully they can just direct those to the studio and then you know, someone at the shop would handle the questions that way cool um so while you bring up you know keeping your your kind of personal identity and professional identity separate it kind of brings me on to the next question which is is one that kind of when we started talking about the subject it was something that immediately stuck out to me I don't know if you're aware but I do like um a small kind of miniature class called predicting and preventing predatory behavior and it's basically about like preventing okay. preventing predatory behavior in the studio in the sense of like deterring predators from coming in in the first place and like some little things you can do and no, just, that's a great topic yeah it's it's something I've done a few a few times of but anyway not to digress there's a section in there that's basically about like the rise of stalking and preventing stalking and how social media is like a you know stalker's handbook basically and there are definitely some things that you should do to try and keep yourself safe and as insulated from that as possible at work and one of the things that occurred to me was that as an adult content creator you know you yourself keep your personal and professional life fairly separate but a lot of people don't do that and, and they use um, their existing customer base of piercing clients to 
promote their adult content because that's an existing client base they have to just try and kind of maximize their exposure and maximize their potential income. Mm -hmm. Um, But that then means that everybody uh, knows where you work, everyone knows where you're going to be. And it did make me a little bit worried about the potential risks involved in that because I know a lot of people that do adult content creation, like they're, they never give away their, you know, real life address or real life location. Or if they do have a day job, you know, it's never posted about online. So it kind of made me a bit worried about the potential risks of doing, um, you know, adult content creation, and then also having to advertise where you are in the real world and anybody being able to come in and have a face-to-face with you. Is that something that you've been concerned about at all for other people who are maybe having everything go to the same feed? Or do you have any advice on how people can keep themselves safe in those situations? Um, man, that's a, a lot of good points. Um, so, I mean, there are certainly ways where you can you can post adult content and remain virtually anonymous. Like you don't have to share your location or I know that some like cam platforms, um, you can set it to where um, nobody within a certain radius of where you're posting from can see the content. Oh, really? I didn't know that. That's really smart. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I just felt like I, I didn't feel like hiding. Well, and, and maybe that's just me being naive. I, I think comparatively, you actually do kind of have quite a lot of separation between like your your work page and the, the content creation that you do. I mean, people could find it if they're looking for it, but just for the average person looking at your work, um, like it wouldn't be apparent that you're also doing the content creation as well. So like, again, it's, it's difficult because I know that that's not the exact like model that you're working from, but um, it just, it, it made me a little bit, I don't know, I, I would never like to think that any harm would come to anybody, especially not within the industry, but there was just part of me that was a little bit worried that maybe people hadn't fully considered um, the possible dangers of posting uh, adult content, which, you know, there's always a risk is going to draw the attention um, of somebody who's maybe potentially dangerous um, or potentially oh, sure. And then also saying, cool, now I'm going to be here from seven to 10 or, you know, something like that. It just made me yeah, yeah. worried. Um, did, would you suggest anything to, to content creators in that situation? Do you think it'd be wise for them to um, have a bit more separation or is there anything that you think that they should know? Um, well, for me at least, and, and I of course feel this is wise because it's the thing I'm doing. Yeah. Um, I, I don't mind who in my personal life or who knows that I'm a piercer. I don't mind if those people know that I create adult content. Mm -hmm. I do mind if people who find me as an adult content creator reverse that path and find out where I live and who my friends are. Yeah. Um, So anyone who finds me just, I don't know, like they, they find me on OnlyFans. Um, I do not post there where I work, where I hang out. Um, like they wouldn't be able to find my Instagram from my OnlyFans. They would be able to find my OnlyFans from my Instagram. Well, I think that you have like a really healthy like model of how it is that you kind of handle both aspects of your life. And I don't want to be judgmental of people that are handling it differently. It's really not for me to say, but I just feel like as more piercers get into 
adult content creation and diversifying um, sources of income and that kind of thing. I just think it's good for there to be voices out there to just steer them into like safe directions in their practices, um, which is another reason that we really wanted to have you on the podcast to just kind of like share your experience a little bit, because I think that you're someone that has it figured out really well. Um, you know, I don't want to say there's like a right or a wrong way to do it because I'm not even doing it myself. So like, I don't feel like I can, oh, sure. I wouldn't feel comfortable like giving out feedback and advice to something I'm not involved in because it just sounds really out of order. But um, I, I just thought that it was a, a really good opportunity to talk things over with you because I think that you have a really good way of doing things and kind of balancing those two aspects of your life that's hopefully going to be really inspirational to other people that are doing the same thing at the moment. Thank you. Um, and I will say, you know, my studio is still closed at the moment, but um, but I'm fully, fully prepared to, you know, if, if I have a client come in who knows me from OnlyFans or if they know me, you know, in my personal life and also have seen the content I create for OnlyFans, if they come in for let's just say something more intimate like uh, nipple or genital piercings and they try to, you know, discuss my OnlyFans persona or things that I posted there, that would get shut down immediately. Yeah. Yeah, I, like at the studio, I don't want to even talk about the fact that I do that. Would you say that it's really important to, you know, establish those boundaries and plan them out mentally in your head? Um, as early as possible because I think again a lot of piercers are going to be experiencing these problems as they happen instead of ahead of time mm -hmm. which is why I think it's such a good thing for you to bring it up you know like this is something that could come into the studio what are you going to do about it how are you going to deal with it because it is a risk with that with that line of work you know sex work is always dangerous work to a degree or another which just can't mm -hmm. be forgotten really oh for sure and even before I, I created my OnlyFans account I, I played many, many, many scenarios in my head of how that could possibly go if we were to cross over and, and someone bring that up in my studio. And one last thing I was wanting to, well, not, not even really ask, but just bring up was the fact that I saw a little while ago, you had created a private group for specifically piercers who were doing um, adult content creation, specifically OnlyFans content, I think. Um, and I just kind of wanted to give you an opportunity to just kind of promote that a little bit and just let people know that there was a space for that um, if they're wanting to. Oh, yes, please. Uh, yeah, if, um, you know, they're wanting to join a space where they can just kind of like, you know, discuss ideas and I don't, I don't want to speak as to what goes on in your, in your forum, but is there anything that you would be comfortable sharing um, that you feel would be beneficial for uh, people starting out with adult content creation or people listening? Is there anything, um, whether it's from your, from your group or just your own experience that you feel would just be really helpful for everyone to know? Um, well, I mean, it's a, it's a very small group. I only knew a handful of piercers who were also doing OnlyFans and, and we kept you know, messaging each other privately to ask each other questions. And I was like, shit, why don't we all just come together and invite other people who are in the same boat? So it's a little tiny baby group right now. Um, hopefully if there are any other piercers who are in the same boat that they will also join. Because um, I mean, there are some piercer, like I said, we're kind of a niche group and there are some specific things that will come up exclusive to like, you know, piercers are heavily modified people. Like um, one specific instance that I just asked about in there was, um, I know that with OnlyFans, part of their terms of service is you cannot post any kind of uh, injuries, nothing involving blood. 
Um, but I was curious if like, maybe I could post a video piercing myself if it, you know, didn't contain any blood. Um, so that's something I have to contact their customer service about because um, nobody else in the group had experience with that. But um, I know in a lot of ways, I, I, I like discussing certain topics with piercers because we, we have so much shared experience and a lot of the shared, a lot of shared sentiment about, you know, body positivity and that sex is sex and, uh, you know, a naked body isn't something to really freak out about. Like it's, it's a very normal and should be accepted thing. I suppose there's also the added level of having a piercer specific group. It takes away that element of ever having to just explain yourself in that particular way, the way that modified people exactly. often do in other groups. You can still take part in conversations, but very often things will come up like, oh, you have this piercing or that piercing. And very often conversations can kind of, you know, like get derailed a little bit. So it just takes away that complete element of it. So in a way, even though it's a group for piercers, you'll actually probably end up talking about piercing less than if you were in a group of non-piercers in a way. Exactly. Yeah. Cause there's no like, damn, how long did it take to get your ears like that? Like there's none of that. Like we're all kind of in the same boat and accept each other right from the jump. Just the fact that we're in the same group. Well, I'm, I'm like a big, you know, safety and numbers kind of hive mind sharing ideas sort of person. I think that can be a really good idea. So when I saw um, that you were doing that group, I thought that that would be a good idea because it would just be uh, a way of making it so that, you know, piercers weren't just kind of out there on their own in a kind of like wild west sort of situation trying to figure things out in a field of work that has the potential to be harmful um mm -hmm. and it just kind of like helps you stick together a little bit so i i is is there um a name for your group that you that you'd be comfortable sharing for piercers that are promoting their their work yeah certainly um i i named it posh p-o-s-h piercer only fan side hustling oh cool <laughs> Any, any piercers who are currently um, creating adult content for OnlyFans, uh, if they're wanting like-minded people or just to throw around some ideas in a safe space, that would be a good place to go. Yeah, I hope they would. Well, that's all of the questions that I have. Um, thank you very much for uh, having the conversation with me and, and sharing this part of your life. Um, oh, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Um, well, I have nothing but time right now. I have. <laughs> I feel that. Hannibal Lecter says in, in um, Silence of the Lambs, he says, I have oodles. That's me now. I have oodles of time. <laughs> um, so um, if you would just like to one more time run through where listeners can find you and see your work. Oh, sure. Um, so my business page is monarchpiercing.com. Uh, all of our uh, social media tags are at Monarch Piercing. And my uh, personal social media is, um, my Instagram is at Big Labia Energy underscore. And everywhere else is just Big Labia Energy. Great. Thank you very much, Kelly. Thank you. And now through the power of editing, we have returned um, after the, the interview with, uh, Lola and Kelly. So, um, any thoughts to wrap up the show? Is there anything you want to plug or mention? I know you've been doing a ton of work for your web shop. Well, I think that's a little bit of an overstatement. I don't know if it's a ton of work. Um, I try and keep the product turnover as fresh on there as possible. Um, 
sometimes I succeed at that better than others when I'm in lockdown. But we were talking earlier about how, um, you know, like there are different ways to do a web shop. And for some people, it's having every product in every size and just constantly being on that availability. And I knew for me that that would definitely be unmanageable, not just from a perspective of me staying on, on top of things, but in terms of stock availability, you know, like I'm very limited with what I have access to. And because I've been out of work for over six months out of the last year, I certainly can't make massive investments in, um, you know, like in fundamental items and things. So for me, what I do is more like a boutique style web shop where I just I put up just items that I've selected that I think are especially nice or cool and just, you know, here's a few new pieces that I've put together and selected um, to give people up and down the country an opportunity to buy from Forest when maybe they're not able to visit, you know, like even when we're open. Um, so it, I try and just keep the products, um, you know, like fresh and regularly turned over so that people continually might find something different and find something that they like but at the same time it's not the same as like a fully fitted web shop with you know all sizes and all styles available at all times so it's kind of like my take on it um i like the way you do it because even if you tried to have one of those like massive selection you know that you know that you would still be getting emails all day being like is this all you have like i need this other obscure thing yeah i for me it works just to make it kind of like you know, almost, you know, just a, a presentation of a few pieces that I'm going to make available online just to give people the opportunity to get them. I, I don't want people to look at it as a place where, you know, they know they can definitely get something. But I do always try and have spare beads and librette posts in a, in a range of sizes to make sure that customers can get like emergency spare parts when they need to. Um, but beyond that, it's it's really just more like just for fun, you know, like go on there and check out and see what there is. And I try and keep the product turnover pretty fresh to keep people engaged and give them something new to look at. So it's not just stagnating. Um, but other than that, you know, I, I don't really have any work that I can be doing at the moment other than just, you know, staying on top of the studio whilst it's closed. Um, the only other thing I really wanted to do is just again to thank Kelly for doing the interview with me this week um, and just volunteering her time and her kind of point of view on on the subjects that we went over and um I just think that she did a really great job and I'm very thankful for her contributions to the show this week um and you know, I've, I've never got to interview anyone for your show so I hope it came out okay I think it was great and you got to see her cute dog yeah um so what uh what is your your website and your web shop. And do you want to give a hint about that new line that's incoming or do you want to leave that for a surprise? Oh, no, it's, it's not a surprise. I mean, like I've been sharing it on my, like on my work page and stuff. I just not shared the pieces, okay. but um, my, my shop is called forest piercing and my work Instagram is forest piercing. Um, and my personal Instagram is lola.slider. Um, and when you go to my website, which is forestglasgow.com, there's just a link to the web store. You can just click on it. Um, and if you're visiting the website, there's also an FAQ that has a whole bunch of just useful Q&A stuff to do with getting pierced at the studio for anyone that's interested in doing that when we reopen. Um, and uh, in, in terms of the, the new product line, um, I'm really excited that Forest, which is my studio, 
um, is going to be the, I think, the only shop in Glasgow and potentially in Scotland. I'm not 100% sure. I hate making those statements because people don't always promote what they have. But so far from what I can see from the stockist lists, um, we're going to be the only studio carrying Pupil Hall jewellery, um, which is a, a really, really fantastic um, uh, company that's emerged in just the last couple of years, creating really, really um, fantastic, unique, bespoke gold jewellery designs. And um, I'm just really glad to get my hands on some because they're so limited and uh, be able to provide it to my customers. Because I, I don't think anything feels better than when you feel like you can bring your customers something that you just know they would have difficulty getting somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And it makes you feel like you can actually do something good for them, you know, especially at a time like this when, you know, it, it's, it, feel, it, it makes me feel like there's so little that I can do for my customers. I really want to try, you know, in, in any way that I can to just still bring them jewelry that's um, really, really cool and really fun and, you know, like with modern twists and, and new designs to enjoy. So I'm, I'm very excited about showcasing that product line when it arrives. Yeah, it's really cool. You've inspired me. I think I want to try to get my hands on some of it, um, you know, sometime during 2021. Um, so I just want to say thank you to you uh, for always being very supportive and, and always being a great uh, co-host for the show. So thank you for your time. Um, well, you're welcome. Uh, one last plug. You can go to forestglasgow.com for info and some really gorgeous body jewelry. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash Ryan PBA for on-demand uh, educational content for piercing on the $15 a month tier. And I've got those two classes coming up Sunday, February 28th about gloves. That's a totally free class, free for everyone. Uh, and I'll put that on Patreon uh, after it's recorded. And then the big one is going to be Sunday, March 7th about bevel theory. You can get all that info at uh, Body Art Education by Ryan Willett on Facebook or my website, precisionbodyarts.com slash seminars. And I think that's it for now. Okay. So okay. thanks for being awesome. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved. Computer. Recording to the computer. Okay. Um, do you want to do the show intro? I don't know how. Well, you don't have to do like, you know, like the, the lead in intro, but if you want to just do like the, you know, hi, welcome to the Piercing Wizard podcast thing, like, and then we can just get going. Hi, welcome to the Piercing Wizard podcast with your hosts. What? You were supposed to say you. Oh, you. No, it is I. Yeah. Your host, Brian Willette. And who is my lovely um, co-host? Me. Okay, we're <laughs> okay. Let's <laughs> let's start let's start this over again. Okay. Okay. All right. You do an you do an intro and then we'll talk like normal humans do. Okay. Okay, Bye. go. Go. <laughs>